Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode 32 of Super Entertainment Presents the Television Crossover Universe on the Grand Gignol Network. Coming to you from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the TVCU crew. Joining me are the cool one, Crazy Ivan Shabowski, lover of cheese, who's actually here. He's just not here. He'll join us after the break. The classy one, James Boyachuk, CEO of 18th Wall Productions. And the pun master, Chris Nigro, author and founder of Wild Hunt Press. And I am the networker, Robert Ronsky. Professional geek and creepy weirdo, we are the TVCU crew. The TVCU crew are a team of crossovers who devote way too much of their time to connecting the dots to official crossovers and Easter eggs in order to demonstrate a shared fiction of reality that we call the television crossover universe. And now, our shameless plugging segment. Chris, why don't we start with you? Why not? Um, <laughs> I would say... Um, the best plug I'm thinking of right now that I am soon to come out with is I decided that along with my first batch of Wild Hunt material, I am going to republish my short story, The Scurrying. It's about giant rats that more or less replaced humans on the food chain and are determined to add the few remaining humans to that plate. And I also, this one, it went over well when I had it published before. But this time I decided to add a prequel short story to the package that was never seen called Vermin. I'm thinking of taking the out of the word because vermin sounds, I don't know, scarier without the for some reason? Yes, without the definite article, vermin is more menacing. That's what I thought. It's like a 70s grindhouse horror. Vermin! Oh, a lot of grinding went on in those I'm driving. (laughs) Believe me. Is that why it's called Grindhouse? That's what I always thought. (laughs) I don't know, but I mean that makes sense. All right. Was that that it, Chris? Nothing I haven't mentioned several times before. Okay. Sorry, I'm trying to connect Ivan uh, at the same time so that... I was only, I, I apologetically was only half listening to you. Okay, this is thing. the last I got time the, I got we the let grinding. Ivan call in from Earth, too. And yeah. you've heard it all before, Rob, so it's no biggie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only part I caught was the grinding. <laughs> well, we know where your mind's at. Yeah. That's it for me. Suddenly I tuned in on that, like, oh. <laughs> all right, James, how about you for plugging? Well, I would like to shamefully plug something that's on Netflix that anyone can go and check out as soon as you're done this episode. Now, I'm going to not bother giving the full title because it is in a language I don't speak. But head over to your Netflix search bar and type in Magica, magic with an A, and then Madoka, which is spelled exactly how it sounds, M-A-D-O-K-A. This is... One of the strangest things I've watched recently, but also one of the most rewarding. It is a Japanese animated miniseries from just a few years ago. And it is a Lovecraftian horror story. 
But the twist on it is that it's a Lovecraftian horror story that takes place in a very twisted, very grimdark take on Magical Girls. So it's sort of like Lovecraftian Sailor Moon. But what may really elevates the material is how much of a careful character study it is. It's very, very well written. Very, very well plotted. Some of the best twists I've seen in any TV show. And it is just a perfect Lovecraftian horror story on top of all of that. So I strongly, strongly recommend it, even if you don't like anime, like me, and even if you are not too keen on Magical Girls, kind of like me. So really my highest recommendation, and this is a bit of a spoiler, but I'm going to throw this out here just in case this is the last push someone needs. It is one of the best time travel stories I have ever watched. It outdoes itself in that genre as well. Now, things like Time Cop out there. I'm much more enamored with Space Cop. But, as for my own personal thing, I'm going to just say you should check out the 18th Wall website right around the time you listen to this episode. Our After Avalon book should be out which features 11 brand new stories all about the fall of Camelot and what happened to the knights after their kingdom was gone. It's really got some amazing stories in it. Sounds like and, a to remember. Yeah, and that's all for me. All right, cool. So, um, Ivan, we're going to try to get back on uh, after the plugging. Um, so uh, I'm just going to go with me. Um, first, some, I actually have more announcements on plugging. Uh, I just want to mention that um, uh, I'm going to pull back the curtain for a minute. Um, I, I, I was not um, um, the doctor for the last two weeks of shows. Um, I was in the hospital, but um, and I'm only addressing this because I had mentioned it on social media. Um, I'm okay. Um, it it turns out it's just arthritis on my spine and and bone spurs and. Uh, uh, causing a little bit of numbness here and there, but it, but it, they said I just gotta um, eat better and and walk more and and I'll be okay. So so uh, so uh, I appreciate all the people who were were nice enough to reach out for me, and I wanted to say thanks to to James and Chris and Ben uh, Kassan for um, stepping in um, for the last two shows uh, while I was uncomfortably in in a in a in a hospital bed, bored out of my mind. Um, and it really was. It was more <laughs> boring than anything else. I always thought, oh, it would be nice to just be on a vacation in a hospital. No. <laughs> <laughs> For one thing, you don't sleep. Like, every few, like, they bring you back to your bed, and then two minutes later, oh, time for another test. And they bring you back up to the bed. Two minutes later, time for another test. Uh, it was... <laughs> I went like 36 hours without sleep. Um, it was not fun. Um, so second, um, I wanted to mention uh, we do a lot of crowdfunding um, for for our show, but our, our network is going to be do a, doing a crowdfunder. Um, the, it's not it's not up yet, but um, our studio gets very very hot in the summer. It turns out, and because um, we moved in in the winter time, <laughs> um, and uh, so we're trying to get an air conditioner for the studio. Um, it's very hot for the people and it's also very hot, hot for the equipment. Um, so, um, 
you know, I'd say, I say um, it's not up yet, but it'll, it, I'd say look at trickortreatradio.com. And, uh, you know, and our website's also going to post uh, the, the crowdfunder. It's going to be a lot of cool, cool rewards on there um, involving um, uh, different types of participation that you can choose with, um, with any of the shows on the network. Um, so, um, you know, it, it, it's a good thing. I mean, we always appreciate your, your support, but, um, this is really going to like save us and the, and the computer. So, uh, and all the other equipment. So, uh, we appreciate it and, uh, we hope you enjoy the, the rewards because they're going to be fun. Um, finally, um, as I, as, uh, it was said a few weeks ago, uh, we were at Scaricon a few weeks ago, and um, I promised everyone who I took a card from that I would mention them on the show, but I didn't want to take up a lot of time on it, so I'm doing one per week. Um, so today I wanted to mention The Big Scary Show, which is a podcast that I was on um, at the show. Um, actually, I have no idea which episode I was on. Um, I haven't found it yet, or if I was just in a promo or what, um, but I do know that I was on there. Um, so uh, you should go find them on iTunes, download, subscribe, and listen to all of them. Um, I was interviewed uh, by Jason Storm at Scaricon, and Storm was also on a panel with me, um, and he's a really great guy. Um, they were a really good group to, and fun to hang out with. Um, so that is the, the Scaricon um, plug of the week. So stay tuned. After the commercial break, uh, we should have Ivan on. Um, and we'll also be talking to author Jim Beard. Uh, so we will be right back. All right. We are back. James, would you like to introduce our guest? James? Okay. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. Internet decided Yay. to do its own special thing. It would be my pleasure to introduce him. <laughs> if New Pulp were a stage show, Jim Beard's name would be up in lights. He's a multiple award-winning author and editor, the founder of Flinch Books, and master of the tie-in arts. Some of the things he's most well-known for doing are editing the nonfiction book Gotham City, 14 Miles, which took an in-depth look at the 1966 Batman, and his character, Sergeant Janice, is one of the best occult detectives in Karnacki's mold, which, of course, we must mention given how much we talk about Karnacki. Jim is also responsible for such crossover anthologies as Monster Aces and The Lemon Herberts. So, Rob, take us away. Yeah, um, so Jim, first and foremost, I wanted to talk about Monster Aces. Um, we have a lot of stuff wait, to talk wait, about. Wait, I just want to say, that made me sound really cool. <laughs> you are the coolest. Yeah, I might want to get like a recording of that so <laughs> right. I can play that over and over again and, and make myself feel good. Make it your voicemail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so thanks, guys. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. Um, cool. Yeah, so um, first I want to talk about Monster Aces. Um, so could you tell us uh, and our listeners uh, the premise for Monster Aces and how you came up with the idea? Sure. Um, you know, that all um, springs from my uh, my really great love of of the universal monster films mm -hmm. and um, a little bit of a hammer too but i'm i'm more of a, a classic universal monsters fan and um really it was a it was a way to to do something like that and and blend it with my love of uh pulp fiction 
And uh, the Monster Aces are a group of uh, four guys who travel around the world, and uh, they don't just fight monsters, they literally destroy them. Their singular goal is to, is to destroy all monsters. Uh, Toho, don't sue me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, and the thing about them is, is that they've all given up their uh, identities uh, for this mission. Uh, they've walked away from their lives. Uh, they have dispensed with their names, their past, their, you know, their histories, everything, and uh, to just completely submerge themselves in this mission. And, and one day, they hope, when they've rid the world of monsters, they can go back to those lives. But until then, they don't even talk about their pasts with each other. That's kind of a rule among them is that uh, they go by their code names and, and that's it. Uh, but they liter literally travel the world, and a lot of the monsters, most of the monsters, are, are things that you might see in, in uh, you know, a, a Universal Monsters uh, movie or, or something out of uh, Hammer films. Oh, Jim, oh. I, I must confess that I'm kind of sort of falling in love with Trill. Can you please tell us your inspiration? Uh -huh. Um, you know, wow, uh, thinking back about it, um, and thank you for that, because she's, to me, one of those characters that literally just popped up and said, you know, I need to be in this book, these books, these stories, and, and it just went from there. Uh, she was never intended to be a big part of it, and now she is. So that's great, and I've had a lot of the writers who have come in, you know, to write Monster Ace's stories say how much they you know, love um, Trill. Um, she, number one, she's there to kind of shake up the the all-male group. Um, she comes and goes as she pleases. She's not an official member. Um, to me, she's kind of inspired a little bit by Pat Savage uh, in the Doc mm -hmm. Savage novels, where she would probably like to be an official ace. And by the way, they don't call themselves monster aces in the fiction. They literally just they're just the aces. It's it's outside of the fiction that they're called the monster aces. Um, but um, she, um, the, they will, they won't allow her to officially join. But the thing is, is that she helps them out more than she doesn't help them out. And uh, it, I think it really kind of makes for something, uh, you know, interesting and and uh, uh, kind of upsets the balance of things. Um, and she has, she has an especial kind of uh, a prickly um, relationship with um, the leader of the Monster Aces, Captain. Um, there's something more going on there, um, but uh, but uh, we no one's sure exactly you know what that is. But he he seems to really not want her uh, hanging around. Well, the sexual tension she creates among those guys there is palpable. <laughs> uh, thanks. Um, the, um, the the obvious um, you know contender there is Joker. He's the the you know the smallest of the group, um, but he's the most handsome you know of the group. He's a smooth talker, and uh, him and Trill seem to have really hit it off. But there's also a little something uh, that uh, her relationship with Gats, who is the uh, the marksman of the group uh, who may or may not be a Chicago uh, uh, mobster mm. in his past. Um, you know, he he's the one that always has something kind of crude to say about Trill, and, you know, and she kind of, 
you know, looks down, you know, or knows at him, but, uh, but who knows? So, so really the only, the only one that, um, that is, uh, innocent of this whole thing really is, is Digger, the, uh, the, the big man of the group. Uh, he doesn't have any problem with her, um, at, at all and, and doesn't really mind if she's around. Well, I'd rather see the ex-mobster get her than Joker because he's the underdog in the situation. <laughs> well, you know, if we do more books, who who knows? You know, uh, we'll see. And that, that actually raises uh, one of the questions I have because, uh, you know, Monster Aces 2 came out last year. Uh, will we be yeah. seeing a volume three? I, I don't know. Um, that's You know what? That's really kind of um, up to the readers. Um, it's up to the publisher, uh, Tommy Hancock, of uh, Pro Se, you know, uh, Productions. Um, I've thought a lot about doing just, you know, like maybe a new short story myself or, or maybe a, a novella. Um, but um, I, I really have to be inspired, you know. I really have to just wake up with uh, just one fantastic Monster Aces idea and want to do it, you know. But, but really it comes down to the readers, um, you know. Um, Monster Aces 2 actually does not have any Amazon reviews yet. Uh, we've got reviews for the first book, so, you know, uh, it's, it's a really difficult thing to get reviews. Uh, so again, if people are interested, they really gotta, you know, let us know, you know, the demand has to be there. I'd love to put together another, you know, team of writers and, and, and do a volume three, because there's a lot more to be said, and there's a lot more monsters out there that have to be gotten rid of. And what I, what I found interesting is, even though you came up with the concept, rather than just writing your own novel, you just you decided uh, on an anthology and and have many talented writers interpreting your work. Uh, what was the decision making process for um, choosing a multi author anthology for the series? Mostly because i i love the I love the concept of an anthology. I I always have and. Um, when I got to the point where I was able to to do that, you know, I, I jumped right in. Um, one of the things that I just flat out love is creating a concept, uh, writing a Bible for it, finding authors of a like mind who are intrigued by the concept, and then and then you know working with them to to create uh, these stories that. Uh, that not only mesh into a you know into a consistent universe, but also that they can kind of bring themselves to. Um, I was so blessed in the first volume to have just some of the biggest names in New Pulp, uh, and in fact, one of the stories actually won an award. Uh, Ron Fortier's um, uh, the uh, Ghoul story, uh, you know, won a Pulp award, uh, and uh, they all, you know, added something. Um, here's an interesting thing, and I don't think people really knew this. Trill did not have uh, uh, supernatural abilities before Ron came along. Mm. He handed in his story, and there she showed supernatural abilities, and I, I looked at it, and, you know, that wasn't in the Bible or anything, and it was really cool. Um, I I saw it visually in my head, and we turned right back to the Bible and rewrote her part in it to include those abilities uh, for future, you know, writers to uh, to take on. 
Nice. But yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. I, I love working with other writers. Now, did you um, get to I, choose? I, did you get to choose the authors, or did Pro Se do it, or was it a combination? It was a combination. Boy, it's it. You know, it's been a little while. Um, yeah, because you know, I again, I was really lucky when we did the first Monster Aces book. I was still kind of kind of new to you know to the new pulp world and mm. um you know i knew these guys but not well enough um i believe it was tommy who who went out and you know really um kind of you know roped them in and it, you know i look back at this today and how just how incredible it is i mean it's 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 me with with ron and barry reese and and van plexico and and we you know we laugh now because van's almost impossible to get into other people's books you know he's got mm. his white rocket you know press and his universes and and he's firmly you know entrenched in that and just does such a fantastic job that i look back and i think how the heck did we ever get him you know in that book and, and barry's kind of the same you know way he does so much of his own he's got his own universes and and ron you know runs his own publishing company so so that was just incredible and then in the second volume i think it was a little bit more of a of a i put forth you know some writers uh people that i was interested you know in working with um uh tommy brought in um uh teal james glenn and what a coup that was um and uh like jeff mcginnis was somebody that i had worked on uh, before on the monster earth books and uh, he really wanted to do a vampire story and i was really against doing a vampire story just because as we all know vampires have just been done to death right. unintended <laughs> yeah but jeff had this really interesting you know take on it that fit in the universe but was so jeff to me that that i said yeah you know really want this so um very very proud of those those two collections very very proud of them cool so i do have a question your story for volume two the business of monsters yeah the main villain yeah was he intended to be played by bella lugosi (laughs) okay here's something else i don't think (laughs) i've ever i've ever really said this to anybody almost all of my villains in in almost everything that I've written, if they're uh, if they're one of these bigger villains, uh, larger than life villains, when I'm writing, they almost all talk like Bela Lugosi in my head. <laughs> and it's nice. so funny that you 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 bring that up. Um, when I was writing the second or the the Captain Action, both the Captain Action novels, mm. Doctor Evil to me talks like Bela Lugosi. It's, he sounds like Bela. <laughs> um, I just, I just, uh, I wrote something recently where that happened again, and I don't, I don't plan on that. You know, it, it just happens. Um, my, uh, my lovely wife is a huge Bella Lugosi fan, so you know we, we live, eat, and breathe <laughs> Lugosi <laughs> in our household. So you know, I, I guess maybe he's, you know, and he's such a. Boy, such a larger than life figure too, you know. Right. How could how True. could you not, you know, have villains walking around, you know, sounding like him, but um but uh yeah, uh um uh he, 
that guy in that story, uh, he may come back. He, I certainly hope so. Yeah, the intention is that he comes back. Most likely, that if if I write another Monster Aces story myself, that's that's kind of the plan. Is that uh, he'll he'll be you know returning. Any chance, Jim? He'll reveal that he doesn't drink wine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Um, it would we'll, work we'll, well, to, well because find, I yeah, thought we'll that was that. actually going to be the big reveal of the story. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Well, maybe that's in the next story. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Maybe yeah. drink a Bloody Mary. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a twist. Whatever it is, I'll do some kind of twist then. <laughs> cool. So, um... If if nobody else has anything more on Monster Aces, and I don't want to get into this too long because I will go on too long, but um, you edited Gotham City 14 Miles. Um, so I grew up on Batman 66, Adam West and Burt Ward and, and all that. Um, so uh, briefly, tell us why Batman 66 matters. Oh my God! <laughs> how much time? How much time do you have? <laughs> um, for, yeah, I'm, well, for you know what, there's 14 different reasons why that why that show matters, and we go into each one of them mm. in loving loving detail. But um, um, basically, it it was a show that came out of nowhere. Um, it had an incredible crew behind it. It had an incredible cast. It had at least for the first season and and roughly half of the second season it had incredible writers it had incredible music uh it had all these different parts and then when it came together and it and and it clicked it really clicked it's an incredible portrait of batman up to that point and a lot of people don't realize that, and still to this day don't realize that, and some will even, are even in denial uh, about <laughs> it. Um, it's an important part of the history of Batman. It is not a footnote. It's not something to, you know, sweep under the carpet and let, you know, kind of be embarrassed about um, and, and kind of forget um, it, it really, truly is an important part um, of his history, and it actually played a huge part in what we have today. Mm-hmm. We may not have had the Batman we have today in comics and in film if it wasn't for that, because actually um, uh, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams set out to dispel the 66 Batman, and what they did is in direct response to that Batman. So in a funny kind of way, again, it led to the, to the, the darkening of Batman. But up until that point in 66, um, he, he was a very sunny character. Um, there's a lot of very silly stuff in the decades uh, uh, leading up to the Adam West show right. that, that are far, far sillier than, than that TV show. And I challenge anybody, start, 
Started about the time that Robin comes in in 1940, and just uh, go to comics.org, pull up the photo gallery of the yep. title Batman and the title Detective Comics, and just sit and click next, 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 and go through those covers. You don't have to read the stories. Just look at the covers and the titles, and you're going to see some of the silliest stuff you've ever seen. And not just in oh, the... Yeah. You know, in the science fiction fifties uh, and, and early sixties stuff, even in the forties, you know, yep. there is crazy, crazy, silly stuff. There's a uh, a fifties story. I think it's fifties where Batman gets um, uh, turned into Bat Baby. He's literally <laughs> a little toddler, like with a Batman kind of co- you know costume on, running running around. It's like that. You know, that makes the Adam West show look completely serious. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, inspired the um, of Mortal Kombat. So, so, what? I wonder if that inspired the babalities of uh, Mortal Kombat games. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> hey, that might be a whole other book right there, you know. But so, so basically, Batman '66 does matter, and it's and not just on the history of Batman, but um, I mean, it inspired so many uh, people who are working today in the film industry, the music industry. TV, you know, industry, uh, comics industry, uh, you know, now people are coming out almost <laughs> coming out of the closet and saying, you know, uh, I'm a Batman 66 fan. Um, you know, it had a huge bearing on my early days and what I do now. Uh, you know, now it's cool almost to say that, you know, where, where, you know, a while back it wasn't. I was the you know, the fool on the hill, you know, with, you know, people telling right. me how crazy I was to love that show. But that's that's my Batman. I, pr- I think I knew that show before I saw my first Batman comic book, probably. Um, they, so, may uh, the, sorry. You may have had the last laugh, Jim, because have you noticed the resurgence in popularity of the past couple years of Batman 66? Yes. Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, I mean, the, the anniversary helped. Uh, the, that it finally is on um, DVD and Blu-ray helped. That it finally was able to be uh, merchandised, you know, helped. Um, but until then, you know, there was just a, a small group of us who, you know, walked around saying, we love this show, you know, there's a lot of good stuff in it. And, you know, my other challenge to people is, is watch the first season. You don't necessarily have to go past that. Watch the first season. Watch the first dozen episodes. They're they're good superhero dramas with yes with some campiness in there, but it's sharp satire. It's 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 sharp you know comedy, but there's a lot of serious stuff going on in that too. Um, you know, there's actually some character development. Um, there's just some very fine writing um, and uh, you know costume work. Um, it, it's it's an incredible superhero show. You know, we talk about uh, how incredible it is to have the Marvel movies now and to finally see these different superheroes on screen. When, when really Batman at that time was the very very best portrayal ever of a uh, you know superhero on film. Up in, in, my, in my opinion, up until we uh, Chris Reeve, you know, Superman. Mm-hmm. We got the digital comic book to Batman sixty six past couple years. Yep, yep. Uh, n- not a not a bad book. A little hamstrung by some yeah. uh, 
uh, legal um, matters, which is unfortunate. It could not fully emulate the TV series, and it shows, uh, you know, too many times. But, you know, but it was solid. Um, it was more of a, a Silver Age Batman comic book ne- than, than, you know, necessarily that show. But, um, but e- if you really look at it and think about it, there's a lot of things that they could not do. And not just likenesses uh, sometimes, but literal, literal concepts. You'll notice the show, ne- or the comics never begin like the show. There's no crime committed call on the hotline Batman you know mm. says well, we're on our way down the bat poles into the batmobile to to police headquarters you'll notice that never ever happens it's because they they couldn't wow it's it, it was a concept that was and I don't know if it was because of the lawsuit with Dozier's daughter you know or or uh, with his production company, or or what you know went into that. There's still a lot of stuff that we don't know about all those decades of of legal problems. But you know, but that comic was the best it could be with what it could do, and I, I'm glad that we had it. And at least they got to meet the man from Uncle, right? Right. Yeah. Um, uh, the uh, let's see, the new one coming out is uh, they he meets the um, um, Steed and Mrs. Peel. Yeah, yes. the, the the other Avengers, yeah. the real Avengers. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> boy, a, a, a week or two ago, um, Jerry Ordway, classic, you know, legendary comic artist and writer, Jerry Ordway posted some page roughs of a Batman '66 story that he uh, started and then wasn't able to finish, and looks like it was canceled. And it it makes you sick at mm-hmm. heart to look at it of what we could have had a Jerry Ordway Batman 66 story I, I I sent him a message and I said it was like my two favorite things in the world <laughs> and you're taking them away from me it's you and, and Batman 66 so wow it's almost yeah. like I'd rather have not known that that could have happened <laughs> yeah. because yeah, now... we, yeah no exactly right that's exactly right but but you know I, I he might still have them up on his Facebook page you, mm. you know um, I urge everybody you know take take a look because his roughs are not roughs they're almost like completely penciled pages and to see him do you know uh, the uh, younger Adam West and Burt Ward and and um, it was it was it would have been really something. I mostly so, oh I'm sorry go on Rep. Oh I'm sorry I was just gonna say we have about fifteen minutes left fifteen twenty minutes left so I wanted to uh, segue. <laughs> okay. Because uh, I will go and I will I we had we had a, a, a the curator of a Superman museum on the show and and I just took up like all the time <laughs> talking about <laughs> about classic Superman so um, I, yeah I wanted to talk about some of your other work um, yeah. um, and we we had discussed the other day uh, it was funny because I had posted a promo that said uh, Jim Baird and Godzilla and uh, and, and, you <laughs> right. thought, and you thought I was referring to um, a Godzilla project uh, that you had done, and I, I had no idea about it actually. And next week we're actually talking about like the Toho universe and stuff. So, uh, would you like to tell us yeah. a little bit about your Godzilla? Yeah, project? it's a it's a very well, it's a very very loose one. Um, but I got to tell you, if if there was another license anthology that I could put together, Godzilla would be very high on my mm. list. Um, and I'm not going to get rid of that idea because. I just think that would be so fun together. A whole bunch of, you know, really cool writers 
and do an official Godzilla short story anthology. But um, I mentioned Monster Earth. It's another um, it's another anthology concept that I created, and it is the first, um, as far as I can see, the first uh, shared world giant monster prose anthologies. Uh, and the, the basic premise is is that um, it's an alternate history of the 20th century mm. where every country on Earth has a giant monster, sort of like a stand-in to nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. So things happen differently. Some of the bigger events still happen. World War II still happened. Uh, the Vietnam War still happened. But the, the, uh, the twist is, is that now those conflicts and other things had giant monsters walking around in them. So these, these nations of the earth, they use them for defense, but sometimes they use them for offense, too. Mm. Um, and uh, in the, uh, So we had Monster Earth, and that was from the 1930s uh, up until uh, 1985, roughly. Uh, every, uh, each story was a different decade. Uh, and then we did a sequel called Betrayal, on Monster Earth, and that was uh, from 1985 to 1995. And in my story uh, called Big Juju, um, there uh, our uh, our main characters are in a little uh, seedy bar uh, in the Congo, in Africa, in 1986, somewhere thereabouts. And there, uh, it's a man and a woman, and they're drinking heavily and they're flirting a little bit. And uh, there's a floor show, and when uh, the woman singer comes, the band kicks in, and they're not that great, and the woman singer comes out, and if you read the description of her, uh, you may see a resemblance to a certain uh, lady singer from the movie War of the Gargantuas, uh, another Toho classic. I'm trying uh, so, to think yeah. of her, but the words are stuck in my throat. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have done better myself, thank you. Uh, one of my most favorite parts of any giant monster movie uh, ever is is that wonderful song from War of the Gargantuas. The, the words get stuck in my throat. So I'm like, um, and uh, I confess publicly here. No, what? I confess publicly here. That song is on my playlist on YouTube. I love it. <laughs> Good. I won't sing it here because I could never do it justice like that, like that lady does. But uh, yeah, basically, the the, the uh, it, she makes an appearance in my story, but yet it's about twenty years later, so she's not doing so good. She's now she's now relegated to you know a, a dive, you know a a, a seedy dive in in the Congo in, in Africa, and it even mentions something about. Uh, our, our hero in the story remembers her and that he had heard about her and that uh, he remembered that um, she was kind of an up-and-coming singer and that she had an unfortunate run-in with a kaiju and uh, so uh, that, that kind of wrecked her, wrecked her life. So I even have a song that she sings in my story uh, and the lyrics are in there too. And, and believe me, it's not easy to write a bad song. <laughs> when you're purposely trying to write a bad song and be, have it be on the same par <laughs> or level as the words get stuck in my throat. I think I came close, but we'll let readers decide um, <laughs> if, if my song is as bad, you know, or is as good bad 
You know, I mean, it's it's so bad that it's good. Um, I think like uh, Devo even <laughs> recorded the words "get stuck in my throat." They they liked it that much. <laughs> That's great. So, Jim, I hear you're writing a novel on a certain sticky subject. <laughs> <laughs> About gloom? Um, not porn, though. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, glue, yeah, yes, it's Glue Man. It's my new superhero. And, uh, You're um, kidding us? amazing. He was originally going to be called Mucilage Man. <laughs> I like the alliteration, but I didn't think people would be able to pronounce it, you know, correctly, so I just went with Glue Man. But, and you're um, kidding us. Sorry. I what? feel like I'm caught in a web here, guys. <laughs> Speaking of which, I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm going to be doing a high anxiety um, novel next. <laughs> do you know? Do you know that scene from High Anxiety? The, uh-oh. oh, no, did I just throw out? Uh, did I throw out an old man oh, men- oh, reference? Okay. <laughs> it's it's a Mel Brooks movie, guys. I, I I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. Come on. Yeah. There's a great scene with Dick Van Patten, and he's he's in a room that has a window that has a vague spider web sort of pattern, and the the shadow is being cast on him, and he looks up and he says, "I feel like I'm caught in a web." <laughs> anyway, yeah. but yes, um, yeah, I uh, I just wrote a Spider-Man novel. Bum bum bum. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting um, stuff to adhere to. Sorry. Go. Um, it it is um, it's for a publisher called Joe Books and it's literally J-O-E Joe Books Uh, they're based in Canada and they have the official Marvel license they're the only other publisher other than Marvel themselves that that has the license to produce official prose novels with, with the Marvel heroes Marvel characters and uh, they've already uh, got a, a Thor novel out right now. Um, next up, I think, is and they have an Iron Man one coming out, and then a Guardians of the Galaxy, and, oh, and a Captain America one, too. Um, but um, I, um, I wrote the Spider-Man one for them, and it's, uh, it's, in, the, it's in the editing process right now. Uh, and it's nerve wracking, <laughs> you know. Uh, a fifty-four, you know, year old um, legendary character, you know, arguably Marvel's, you know, most popular character, yeah. um, and uh, you know, a character that I think changed the comic industry. Um, and uh, I got to write a, I got to write an official adventure, you know, of him. Um, I'm hoping that it's going to be out by the end of the year. It should be. Uh, it might even be out by the fall. Uh, but uh, and I'll be talking, you know, more about that, um, you know, online, um, on Twitter, and and on my Facebook fan page, you know, as as we get closer. But uh, but all I can say right now is it's it's about Spider Man. Spider Man <laughs> is definitely in it. I can confirm Spider Man is in it. <laughs> I would Spider Man is in a Spider Man book. Yeah. You never know. Could be Doc Ock. Yeah. It's such a relief <laughs> to know. Well, Marvel insisted upon it, you know. I I actually, you know, turned in a completely different pitch that didn't have Spider-Man in it at all, and they it was weird. They insisted, you know, that it had to have Spider-Man in it, so it has What's Spider-Man. What's wrong with in them? It. I know, really, you know. 
Could have been Willie Lumpkin <laughs> looking a great for Spider-Man. Great story for a baby that comes from an exploded planet. Well, that sounds great, but can you think about Spider-Man? Well, I wanted I wanted to do a man thing novel, you know, mm. but yeah, they thought that sounded too provocative. Y- yes. <laughs> well, you said it was. I thought we agreed we weren't talking about porn. Oh. <laughs> you know what? Wonderful character, unfortunate name. Yeah. People just, yeah. you know, we just all need to, like, get past that name, and because it's a really it, great character, you know, when you when you come right down to it. It's a really, really interesting, fascinating uh, character. I try to get past the name, Jim, but it's hard. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. Well, it didn't help that they released the Treasury Edition giant-sized man-thing number one. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? It, when you're a kid, though, you know, it's a more innocent <laughs> age, and right. you don't think about those things until somebody actually says that to you, and then you then you can't, you can never see it differently. <laughs> it was still a bad choice, that name, a major boner on their part. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so you guys are going to be holding oh, auditions no. <laughs> for a new cast member, is that right? Yes, actually. Yeah. Would you like to put your name in? <laughs> yeah, sure, please. I can promise I, w- I won't tell jokes that bad. <laughs> These are some of my better ones. Very- oh, wow. Uh, you know what? Every podcast crew has one. Yeah, it was kind of like we didn't have him in the beginning of the show, and then we, we, we realized it was missing. So we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy. <laughs> I'm a yep, funny guy. Not a podcast without him. So, cutting Chris <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. Would you also like to announce your upcoming book that we talked about in the break? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the one that you surprised me with, yes. yes. Um, uh, it's a new anthology coming out, and it's going to be through MetaHuman Press, uh, who I worked with before on a book called Presid- President, Pul- President Pulp. Isn't that what it's called? Presidential Pulp? I think it's uh, Presidential think it, Pulp. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Presidential Pulp. I did a, uh, a Nixon uh, story for that one. But um, it's, you know what? It's funny. We mentioned the title before, but that I remembered now. It might actually still change. Uh, we're going back and forth on a pr- one word uh, on, the, on the title. But for right now, it's called Spicy Robot Stories. Um, back in the... the, uh, the classic era of pulp magazines uh if a if a magazine had the word spicy on it that was a little bit more that was a little bit more racy uh and risque than than the normal you know pulp magazines but uh what passed for spicy back then you know would is literally your average young adult (laughs) novel or really actually probably more like an intermediates novel you know now yeah Uh, but um, the idea was to um, to take some classic pulp tropes and then uh, to to blend in a a spicy element. And what that means is it's not porn <laughs> or anything like that at all. It's sort of the it's like um, it's kind of like a, a, a it's juvenile antics. It's like women with their clothes falling off, 
you know, and getting into, you know, situations, you know, like that. That's pretty much what it is. What I love is that there was actually, like, rules from the publishers who did those magazines back in the days. They actually had specific rules about, you know, what, you know, um, it was, it could only be female nudity. There could be no male nudity whatsoever. If, if there was a, if there was a man and woman together and the woman was in a state of undress, the man had to be fully clothed. Huh. Yeah. Um, there could be no, uh, uh, actual, uh, consummation <laughs> of acts. <laughs> Well, or if there was, dressed. it was, it was, yeah, you're right. Well, it was <laughs> off the page, you know. Um, and I think there was a couple, you know, uh, other ones, you know, uh, that went along with it. But um, it's no, nobody is really doing this right now in the in the new pulp world. And and of course, if they're not, if someone's not doing something like that, then of course I want to, you know, right. try try to do that. But the basic gist of it is is that um, in the early 1940s. Uh, the police um, have to break into a room in a in a like a boarding house, uh, a tenement uh, in New York City, and uh, they find a robot inside. Uh, the uh, creator or inventor of it is nowhere to be seen, and when they break in, the robot wakes up for the very first time. He is um, almost a completely fully formed. Uh, person, he's a little naive in the in the ways of the of the world, uh, but he well, he's uh, so fully dressed, right? Yeah, no, no, he's not fully dressed. I know. Yeah, I broke that rule already. I know. <laughs> but, um, he uh, he uh, um, boy, it's I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to be uh, family oriented about this whole thing. He is um, fully <laughs> functional. Oh. Yeah, like 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 data before him. Right, he, right. He is fully, you know. But um, but he, he and he's not a child. It's not like a Pinocchio thing, you know. Um, he's very intelligent, but again, he's sort of naive to to certain aspects of the world. And he falls in with uh, two people who become his close friends. And one of them is uh, a guy who is the janitor in the building. And he he says to the robot, you know, you can come and live with me. And then there's a girl reporter. She's a Lois Lane type, you know, very straightforward, go-getter, you know, uh, flashy dresser. But, again, she's one of these uh, characters that no matter what, somehow she ends up, like, some, like losing her clothing somehow. <laughs> You know, it's it's one of those type of characters. So um, they get into all kinds of funny <laughs> scrapes. Um, it's a very lighthearted um, anthology. You know, they run into gangsters. They uh, they run into um, uh, you know things like that. Um, uh, there's a baseball story that I just absolutely love by uh, by Justin Bell. Um, and uh, all these different things. And they're running around in, in early 1940s New York City, which is a favorite of mine. And um, and the rest you're just going to have to imagine until the book comes out. I'm probably describing it very poorly. But, but, no, you're but doing really, great. really, really oh, fun. Yeah. Also yeah. And, 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 and again, it's not... Um, if you have them, one of mine. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, wait, I have, to th I have to think. It's um, it's M.H. Uh, Norris. Mm -hmm. uh, Justin Bell, uh, Aaron Smith, Travis Hiltz, Chuck Miller, 
and Sam Gafford. Wow, that is a very uh, nice lineup. Yeah, just um, just a, a, again, um, I, I again I created the concept, wrote the Bible for it. I actually plotted out the first and last stories. Sam Gafford came in. He's my go-to guy for any time like I need to fill a slot in an anthology. And I love Sam because every time I go to him and I tell him one of these concepts, and he'll always go, you know, that's kind of out of my, you know, my comfort zone or wheelhouse, you know, kind of a thing. And I'll say, just do it. And then he comes back with these fantastic, you know, these fantastic stories. And I always say, what are you talking about? And and he, you know, he always says, wow. You know, that was really fun, and I'm so glad that you made me, you know, do that. And, you know, so I just laugh at him every time he says that. But <laughs> but he took a loose plot from me for the first story. And then um, uh, Chuck Miller um, wrote off a plot for the very last story. They're very important bookends um, to to the, the whole thing. There's an actual kind of an arc throughout that. And I love doing anthologies like that where there's there's some connective tissue, you know, between uh, between stories uh, like that. So I'm really excited about it. We have the cover now, and that's just really wonderful. It's by Eric Johns, who did the covers for the Monster Earth books, and he did the interior illustrations for my first Sergeant Janice book. Uh, He knocked it out of the park. Uh, It's just, it's one of his best works, and it's, it's exactly what I wanted. Um, publishers working, uh, you know, on it right now. Uh, I don't think I'm going to have it ready for Pulp Fest, which is next month uh, in July, but um, but we might. Um, but it'll at least again, it should be out by the the fall, and that's another thing that I'll be talking a lot about um, online. Cool. So uh, before we wrap up um, fairly soon, I wanted to make sure um, talk about. You said you had. Um um, a whole slew of um, licensed character uh, novels coming out soon. I wanted to make sure uh, you got a chance to tell us about those. Yeah, I, um, in September I have an X-Files short story in an X-Files anthology put out by IDW. Uh, they've done three of these anthologies, and uh, the, um, the first two, boy, had some you know really like big-name authors, and then they got all the way down to the third one, and they got me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's coming out in late September. It's it's actually up on Amazon now. You can pre-order it. It's called oh, X Files: Secret Agendas, mm-hmm. and uh, it features my story called "Desperately Seeking Mothman." Oh, nice! Uh, and I'm just going to leave that one right there yeah, for yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was just a complete thrill. They're they're uh, edited by a horror great. Jonathan Mayberry. Um, I was up against 680 pitches, according to him, for that he got for the third anthology, and he picked wow. me. Yeah, um, you know, based on a, on a pitch, and it was a really great um, experience. Um, Fox was, you know, very easy. Um, uh, there was two tiny little changes that they asked for. Um, which didn't affect the story in the slightest, and so that's that's just great, you know. If you can if you can get like one of those really quick approvals, right. you know, on things, but it's it's literally like Chris Carter's office, you know. Has, they uh, they all the stories have to fit into X Files continuity. You have to you know it has to say what year it takes place, you know, so that the the diehard fans can actually kind of picture where yep. it fits in the different seasons 
you know, so really, really fun, you know, experience. Um, uh, hopefully again in the fall will be Spider-Man. Uh, I'm just about ready to start work on a Kolchak novel, or it might, it might turn out to be a novella. It's either going to be a novella or a novel, Kolchak the Night Stalker. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will uh, be for Moonstone Books, uh, and I'm really, really excited about that. Another really great show, and it's to me, it's kind of a, a completion of this X Files thing because Chris Carter has always cited how right, much Polchak right. was on X Files. Yeah. So now, you know, I wrote X Files. Oh, yeah. Now I'm going back to the source material. Yep. And and writing a Kolchak uh, uh, book, so really excited like that. Uh, you know, big fan of Darren McGavin, and and I'm going to try to channel you know him as much as possible. And then um, in January, um, oh, uh, the Kolchak novel, hopefully out by the end of the year. Could be January, I'm not sure. Hopefully out by the end of the year. Um, and then in January is. Um, uh, an official Planet of the Apes short story anthology that I co-edited and contributed to uh, with uh, my uh, good friend Rich Handley, who is one of the premier uh, Planet of the Apes experts ever. Uh, he's written whole books on it, and uh, we have that through Titan Books. They have the official uh, license to yeah. do Planet of the Apes uh, prose works, um, a lot of what they do is connected with the new movies, but this is actually classic Planet of the Apes. Rich oh, and nice. I went to them. We said we, we really want to do classic, thinking that they may say, eh, you know, the new movies are out, the, the right. classic stuff nobody wants, you know. And they said, it was funny because they said, okay, you can do classic, and you cannot touch anything to do with the new movies. Oh. <laughs> and we were like, hey, no problem, <laughs> you know. We we have an incredible lineup of 16 authors, two of which are are Rich and myself. Um, so 14 other authors. Um, just off the top of my head, Jonathan Mayberry, uh, Dan Abnett, uh, Kevin J. Anderson. Um, uh, again, we were just you know knocked over by the by the authors uh, that we got for it, and that that these people were so excited. Just they were beside themselves to do an, a, a, a classic Planet of the Apes story, and we were able to connect in with all five classic films, the live-action TV series, the animated TV series, oh, wow. uh, and I think that's yeah, all of that stuff was on the table. The only thing that wasn't on the table was the the new movies and well that Tim Burton thing that we don't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, um, uh, really super excited about that. There is a listing on Amazon for it right now, but the, uh, the official title has not been posted yet, nor is there a cover yet. But you can actually pre-order it. I think if you put in Classic Planet of the Apes Anthology, I think it comes up uh, that awesome. way. So stay tuned on that one, because we hope in the next couple months, you know, the official title will be put up there and, and the cover. If, if, uh, if you go, too. if you, yeah, if you just go to um, Jim Beard's um, um, Amazon page, his author page, you can find the X Files one and the Planet yeah. of the Apes one are yeah. listed on that page. Great. Uh, and speaking of social media, <laughs> um, we're about to wrap <laughs> nice up. Segue. Yeah, we're about to wrap up. Uh, so, where can our listeners follow you on social media? Uh, well, you, you mentioned the Amazon page, so that's Amazon.com slash author slash Jim Beard. Uh, and then on Facebook, 
Uh, I am at uh, facebook.com slash thebeard, Jim Beard, all one word. Um, that's the quote-unquote fan page. And then uh, on Twitter, uh, at writer Jim Beard, all, all one word. Right, because there is another Jim Beard out there, isn't there? <laughs> there's a, um, yeah, um, there's a long-time professional musician yeah. that name. Um, did a lot of um, uh, session work, from what I understand, but then, you know, one of these guys that, you know, channeled that into a, a career of his own. It, I hate to say this, but I think I, I think he's a keyboardist, if I'm not mistaken. But but yeah, no, totally different guy <laughs> for me. I don't, I'm, I'm not musical at all. And believe me, if when you see that song that's in that Monster Earth book, you will know how unmusical. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that worked. But it worked well with that, though. Yes. When I started when I started yeah. researching you, I came across the other Jim Baird. I'm like, I got to change all my questions. Oh wait. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank wow, you, Jim. researching me. You know, that's like that's like thrilling and chilling. <laughs> right. Well, I, you know, I am, like you know, am, you've made am, it when somebody has to research you. I am but, the creepy. But it's also, it's also kind of creepy, too. Yeah. Battery to be stalked, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that is my role, the creepy weirdo of the group, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> well, you did, you, did, you're, you did fine research. Fine, yeah. fine research, yes. So thank you, Jim, for being with us. Um, it was a pleasure, hey, cool. and we'd love to have you back anytime. Um, and if we Great. ever get rid of Chris, we'll give you a call. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm not supposed to say that while Chris is still here. <laughs> I don't need yeah. another stalker. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Hey, guys, this was so fun. Uh, you know, I love it. When when something is more like just, you know, shooting the breeze with people. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that, that's, that's what I love, especially with like-minded, you know, people. So you guys are doing a fantastic job and, and a really, really important, you know, service to the geek community. So thanks so much for having me on. It was, it was fun. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Pleasure to yeah. have you. And we'll be right Thank back you. after this break. All right, we're back. Um, I just wanted to quickly point out, Bobby Change probably pronounces the network's... Uh, name better than anybody else <laughs> he's got that he's got it down uh anyways on that note uh that's all the time we've got for tonight join us next week we're going to be discussing godzilla and the toho kaju shared cinematic universe before we end i want to thank our sponsor the kazakh ministry of information and a special thanks to tiny white and the deadites for our show's theme music leaf on a stream thanks to all who listened Remember to subscribe to and rate our show on iTunes. And as always, everything happens somewhere. Night. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.